<laughs> she is a delight. So it's good to see y'all. That was wonderful worship. Uh, thank you, Michael and Sarah, uh, Stephen and Michaela. Thank you all so much for that. It's so beautiful. We, uh, we ask a lot of our worship leaders because what we are hoping to have when we gather together to worship is a chance to meet with Jesus. And when we worship, we are opening ourselves up to him. And uh, we are not just kind of going through a, a formula. If you're on a date with someone and you did that, it, the intimacy of that would not be received very well. Um, but we want to make space always for how the Lord moves. And so in worship, we ask a lot of our worship leaders to make space at times for how the Spirit's moving. And musically, to do that is a challenge because you have to be ready for however that means going. And so thank you all so much. It takes a lot of skill and trust to do that. And uh, it's one of those fun things that I see every single week. It's just a chance to, to do that with the Lord. So, And thank you all for being participants with that. Um, as you all worship, uh, you all open up the gates of your heart and you let the king of glory come in. That's a theology we see throughout the scriptures, throughout the Old Testament especially, but all, as well in the New Testament. And when we all do that together, there is an, an amplification or a magnification of the Lord that we experience together in his presence. His presence is magnified. And so we'll experience him in a way that only can happen when we meet together in person and worship him in spirit and in truth. And so thank you all also for helping to contribute to a place where we encounter Jesus together. That's, that's amazing news. Uh, this has not always been known to mankind. How it is that we can see God has been a mystery throughout uh, creation. And in some places of the world, it's still a mystery. How do you actually meet with God? How do you meet with Jesus? We have been given access to heaven through Jesus Christ. We have been given access to the very heart of God. The Spirit of God searches out the things of the Spirit in the heart of the Father and, and brings them to us who are spiritual. And that's all through Jesus Christ. And so there, there ought to be this awareness of a different reality when we come together or when we pray or when we practice the presence of Jesus throughout our days and our times. And this is an unusual practice around the world. It's not known how to do this, and it hasn't been known in history how it is that you can encounter God. We've been practicing these last months, really, the, uh, the practice of rest together and learning from Hebrews 4 what rest means, and then, and then we've been seeing how, how out of rest proceeds forth the, the Word of God and how it transforms us. Uh, today, I'm, I'm going to hone in a little bit more to help cast vision for our community at large and how it does center around rest. And so today's message is going to be a bit of a, of a meta message. And it's one that I hope really encourage you all in what your identity is and the direction for your life. And I believe sincerely that if you pay attention today, you're going to hear things that you've never heard, and you're going to get an awareness of your identity that is going to strengthen your orientation in God, found you into Jesus Christ himself, and help your walk become more sturdy and strong because we need to know how to sturdy our, our knees for the long walk ahead. And today's going to help you do that. Uh, so in the beginning, if you go back all the way to Genesis chapter 1, humanity, uh, so our original design and God's original intent for us was to be planted in a garden. And you've heard me say this many times, I'm going to say it many more times. Our intention uh, from God was to be planted in a place of flourishing, where 
all around. There were trees of fruit, and there were trees of, of healing. There was the, the springs of living water that, that flowed out in four different directions from the very heart of this garden. And mankind was called to cultivate it, to work it with intellect, to work it with strength, to work it with creativity, to work it in partnership with one another, male and female, made in the image of God. And out of this flourishing, out of this collaboration, we were going to take this garden and a beauty and a flourishing, and we we're going to extend it out into the chaos that still existed outside the garden. God made all that was very good, and he called man to extend it out into the, the chaos. He, he, he made a garden out of the chaos that was all around. And he told us as his representatives to go and do likewise. And the way that he commissioned us to do this was through vulnerability. That's a, an important part. When uh, Adam and Eve were formed, they were formed naked and unashamed. They had nothing hiding them between God and one another. And God called this very good. And it was out of this place of vulnerability and dependency upon God that the garden would flourish and that the garden would extend out. And when man uh, and Eve, when, when they attempted to figure this out on their own, when they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and bad, they determined for themselves how wisdom was going to work and knowledge was going to work and how to, to do this. And as soon as they did that, they recognized that they were naked, but they also recognized that they were apart from God and therefore different than God and therefore ashamed and afraid. It says in the scriptures that therefore when God showed up, man and woman, they, they hid themselves from God. And this theme of God showing up and man hiding is the main theme that you'll see throughout the scriptures. Not only that, but man tries to then cover themselves. Uh, man tries to take that separation and fix it on their own. And so they took fig leaves and covered themselves. And you're going to see that theme throughout all of Scripture. And I'm going to give a view of that today. And so we see the very first relationship fractured and the place of vulnerability, which is going to cause the flourishing to continue on, was broken and severed. And as a result of that, man was sent outside of the garden to a place called Nod, which means wandering in Hebrew. And from that point forward, man was going to wander. And you and I, at various points of our life, we have felt like wanderers. We have felt like those who didn't have purpose calling, didn't have identity in place, and didn't have a home to call our own. And God sends us out to go wander so that we would experientially know what it's like to genuinely be apart from God and try to figure things out on our own. So that over the course of human history, we would try to figure out again, how to connect with God. When Cain was sent out, so Cain was one of the children of Adam and Eve. Cain establishes that same pattern of covering. He, he goes out, he wanders, he recognizes that there's violence around him. And so he creates the first city, the city of man. And in that city, he creates walls. Those walls to separate because of self-protection. Those walls to make sure that he knew how to find his security. It's a fig leaf. And the language in the Hebrew is similar enough that you could say that it's pointing actually back to those original fig leaves of man trying to create for themselves a covering on their own terms apart from God. And so Cain creates a city of self-protection. 
Because like him, like us, we are always trying to make sure that we are secure, that we know the future, that we can count on things, that we can collect things, that we can know where to eat, know where to sleep, know where it is that we can find our identity. And so we create walls. We create walls everywhere we go. That's a pattern that continues to exist. As the lineage of Cain goes on, we also see God attempting to intervene like he did with Adam and Eve. God made a sacrifice in order to cover Adam and Eve with skin. And so God's attempt was through sacrifice to make sure that that happened. Uh, we see that Abraham, he was called out of the cities of man, out of a place called Ur, a place called the light. But it was a false light. The, the people gathered together to try to find light, and they couldn't find it. And Adam was called out of this place, and never again would Adam in the rest of his life walk among the cities of man. He always walked outside and always wandered outside. But instead now of him trying to form his own community and form his own walls and city, God began to meet with him outside the city and began to meet with him in the wilderness to show that in the wilderness was the place that we would meet God because it's only in the wilderness that we find the springs of living water of dependency upon God and not dependency upon man. Uh, you and I, we, we are attracted to cities. We're in one of the largest cities in America uh, because of the supposed security that that offers. And I'm not saying that's who you are, but there's a temptation for all of us to feel secure because we live in cities. There's opportunity, therefore there's security. Uh, we know that, that you know, prices for salaries can increase there and, and there's more jobs that are there. Uh, and so it, it seems like there's better opportunities. And so we, we know why there's a temptation to build cities. And yet it's at the same time, a, a different kind of city that God had in mind from the very beginning for us to walk in. And Abraham is that first example, and he begins to wander, but he begins to wander with God. God says, I'll, I'll give you a land and I'll make you a people numerous, so numerous uh, that it'll be more than the, the stars of the sky. But Abraham, he didn't like that on his own, or he didn't know how to walk that out, and so he went to Egypt. He went to the city. And, and there he gave his wife to Pharaoh, the, the wife that was to bring forth the, the children of promise. In the city, on his own terms, self-sufficiency takes over, and he gives his wife over to the city and to the Pharaoh of that city. And it becomes the pattern again of man continuing to try to do this on his own terms. History continues on a little bit more, and we see actually prior to Abraham the same pattern in Genesis chapter 11, there's a story of Babel, if you guys remember that from the Bible. Babel has become synonymous with a scattering of languages, the origin of different languages across the world. Babel, uh, if you take the two Hebrew words together, uh, it means a gateway to the gods. So Jim was saying that this gateway that you have, the, the scan will get you anything you want to. Well, it won't get you there, okay? So we, we want to make sure that there, there is some clarification there. Babel meant uh, gateway to the gods. And the language of there says that man was going to build up a tower to make a name for itself so that it gets to the, the top of the heavens and is therefore able to access God because man didn't know how to access the garden, didn't know how to access God at that point anymore. And so the language is very interesting. Tower, top, make a name for themselves, and God comes down and says, that's not going to work at all. I'm going to scatter that. All that's a bit of an introduction today for I want to get to, if you wouldn't mind turning to your scriptures, your, your Bibles into Genesis chapter 28. 
that's all in the background, what I just described, of this really important chapter, which is uh, going to be a really important for us to understand as a community together. So Genesis chapter 28, you have the grandson of Abraham, Isaac. He was wandering around, because if you guys know the story of Isaac, he has a, a twin brother, Esau, who was born first. But Isaac comes out grabbing hold of the leg of Esau, the ankle of Esau, and is going to try to connive and trick his way to getting the birthright that was due Esau. In that culture at that time, the eldest son would get the double portion of the money and the inheritance of the father of the community, so to, to really to take care of everyone else, but it all went to that one primarily. And Isaac comes out grabbing a hold of Esau as a symbol that he's going to try to take that birthright for himself. And actually, God likes that about Esau, because the birthright of uh, Jacob and, and Abraham was the birthright to bring salvation to all mankind. And so Esau somehow was figuring out that that was, sorry, uh, Isaac was figuring out that there was something that was in that birthright that was beyond description, blessed and amazing. But Isaac began to seek after it on his own terms, with self-sufficiency and self-protection on his mind. And so what he did is that he tricked his brother by bringing a big pot of stew while Esau was hungry and covering himself up with clothes to go to his, uh, his father at a different time. And so with food and with clothes, Isaac tricks Jacob into giving him Esau's birthright. And it continues only this. So maybe I'm mixing up some of the names. I'm tired, sorry. And, uh, and then we continue on to this, port, to this part right here of Genesis chapter 28. And so we go in, and in verse 10, Jacob left Beersheba, which is a town there in Canaan, and he set out for Haran. So he leaves the cities, and when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. And he had a dream. And in the dream, he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. So we'll pause real quick. The only other place in the entire book of Genesis where this phrase uh, top reaching to heaven, the exact phrase, is in the story of Babel that I was telling you about earlier. So what's happening here is that God is retelling Babel on his terms right now to, uh, to Isaac, sorry, to Jacob. Yeah, I've mixed up some of these names, I apologize. So Jacob is the one that is the trickster, not, uh, not Isaac. Um, and so Jacob has this dream, which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with his top reaching to heaven, and angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. So on the top of this ladder, the stairway, he looks up and God's standing down, standing up looking at him from above. Almost an amazing sight. You know, he's asleep. He's having a, a pleasant dream. I don't know what you guys dream about, but have you ever dreamt that, you know, if you look up, there's God looking down at you? You know, that's amazing. You know, what did that look like? There was the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give to you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you, and you will watch over, and I will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done 
what I have promised. That's an amazing, amazing encounter with God. Hey, for the rest of your life, for the rest of your life, Jacob, you trickster, you know, for the rest of your life, you who grabbed the hold of your brother's earth, birthright, for the rest of your life, everywhere you go in this land, it's yours. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be your God. And your descendants will be blessed, and you're going to bless the whole world. You know, imagine having that dream. <laughs> that, would be, that would be wonderful. And it's actually already true in us. So in verse 16, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. It's a fascinating thing he says here. You know, here is, here is the, the grandson of Abraham. He has an encounter with God, and he recognizes that God was all around him, and he couldn't see him. This is true of almost everyone in the world, and, and many Christians as well. God is in this room today. Many of you are experiencing his presence. We experience his presence through worship. Jacob perceived correctly that his eyes were not open to seeing God. What was it that caused his eyes to open to see God? What was the context of that passage? He slept. He was completely at rest, unbothered, unable to self-protect, not figure out how he's going to scheme again. This little trickster and schemer, he's not afraid, you know. He's just asleep. The dude is completely asleep and has an encounter with God. I mean, how many times do we fast and pray? We just want a word from the Lord. We try, we try. And, and how many religions are out there? trying as best they can to come up with ways to encounter God through their own works and through striving. And here God shows up in a place of sleep and rest and then gives him the promise of salvation for all peoples out of a place of rest. Rest is a key. It's one of the main keys that Jesus has given us. Strive to enter into it, Hebrews 4 tells us. The work is finished, Jesus says. You don't have to work to find God. God is already now, if you're in Christ, now in you and with you at all times. But here's how Jacob responds to this. That's amazing. So he was afraid. So this is, this is directly linking back to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve see God. It's a theophany. And they were afraid, so they hid. God shows up right now to Jacob, and he is afraid. He hasn't been fully redeemed in that place of rest. He's encountering God. God is promising him everything. He's given him everything he ever wanted. And immediately, he is afraid. So afraid, in fact, that he does some things that are just curious. He says, how awesome is this place? How fearful, how wonderful. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So immediately, he makes a determination. You know, we, we know from the rest of Scripture that God is everywhere. We know throughout the scriptures that, that God really has never wanted his own house. He, he was pleased with David for building one, that it was in his heart, but he's always wanted a tabernacle or tent and be with people and in them and be everywhere. But here's Jacob defining this is the place, this is the house, this is the gate of God. I'll call it Bethel. It goes on. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. They called the place Bethel, Bethel. Though the city used to be called Luz, or Almond, but he was outside the city. He encountered God with this place called Bethel. God never told him to put up the pillar. God never told him to anoint it. 
He did this, I know, to, to honor God, but I will also strongly argue that he was doing this out of fear and to establish a meeting place with God on his own terms. We know that because then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me. What kind of crazy talk is this? God just shows up to Jacob and says, I will be with you. Jacob then turns around and says, well, if you will be with me. It's like, all right, you little schemer. You know, all right, you little trickster. I see what you're about here. Self-sufficiency is taken over. Fear is taken over. Self-protection. Let's create a city here. Let's create walls here. Let's contain God here. Let me know how I can contain. Let me know how I can go to him. I'm going to go to this pillar. I'm going to anoint it with oil. That's what the Muslims do. They set up a pillar. This is where I'm going to meet with God. This is what Jacob's doing. And then he goes on. <laughs> he says, if God will be with me and will watch over me and this journey I'm taking and will give me food and, to eat and clothes to wear, what did he do to get his birthright? You know, he, he made a pot of stew and he, he put on, you know, his brother's clothes. Look at this trickster. This guy knows what's, what's happening. You know, he, he's thinking that God is scheming him. Oh, yeah, if you'll do this and if you'll do that, and if you make me to return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. <laughs> and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be, the, will be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. And so then, then he's like, you know, I'll give you my money after that too. I'll give, you, I'll give you my finances. If you do these things that you already said that you would do. I'm going to put it on my own terms, though. I'm going to give you money on my own terms. I'm going to make sure that you do it in a way that I want you to. I'm self-sufficiency. I'm Cain. I'm walking out the sin of mankind, even though I just didn't encounter the living God. <clears throat> Bethel, by the way, ends up being a place that the northern king of Jeroboam sets up an idol in there of a golden calf. And the, the condition of Bethel ends up being far worse by the end of Israel's history. Man had established it as a house of God. God did not establish it as a house of God. And the foundation of that city was never right. And throughout history, even the church tries to set up a house of God on our own terms to guarantee his presence, to guarantee security, to guarantee food and clothes. And what does God do when he shows up in flesh in Jesus Christ? He says, don't worry about what to eat and don't worry about what to wear. Seek first his kingdom and my God will give you all these things. Jesus, is, he's going back to the very heart of humanity, which is in Jacob here. And he recognized that these are concerns that are common to all of us, but never was that supposed to be a concern for us because we were meant to be in a garden where these things are always provided for us. And because we have self-protection and self-security, we miss out on the one thing that's going to help us to flourish, and that's vulnerability with God and with others. The key to it, you see Jacob is not being vulnerable with God. He is establishing a contract on his own terms. Israel is later on given a chance to have a covenant with God on God's terms. Come up to the mountaintop, commune with me. They say, no, it's too big, too scary. And God says, fine, I'll give you the law. And they have to live with that covenant for the rest of their history. God had always wanted to establish a face-to-face -face relationship with you and I and all of us to walk out this vulnerability. When Jesus comes and says, wherever you worship, to John 3, to the woman at the well, because she asked, here's a prophet, tell me where I'm to worship. He says, the God of our fathers. God, Jesus says, when you, got, uh, when, uh, when you worship, you worship in spirit and in truth. He doesn't tell us where. 
He just says, how? That word to worship in spirit is obviously the Holy Spirit. That word to worship truth in the Greek is nothing hidden. That, that's literally what it means. There's nothing hidden in my worship. I am vulnerable before God, letting all things be seen to him, letting him know all the secrets of my heart because he knows them fully already. And I'm going to give those to him and let him expose them and let him honor them and love them and heal them and forgive them and make them more like him. And that word worship, in the Old Testament, it meant to, to bow down before a king. In the New Testament, that same word means to rise up and kiss as an aspect of worship. It's intimacy, it's vulnerability, trust, intimacy, that place that only comes when we lie down against the breast of Jesus and allow that relationship to be restored again. We know that when we ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, vulnerability was taken away. Rest was taken away. The very connection with God was taken away because we defined things in our own terms. We became like a Jacob. We became like a Cain. We continued to walk it out on our own terms. Jesus comes. And he sits down at a wooden table with his best butts. And he sets before them a meal. He lays down with them. He reclined at table and they reclined back against him. He established rest and reestablished rest. And before he got up on a cross, he laid down on a table. The cross was laid down before him. It's a wood place. It was like a table that he laid back down on in a position and posture of rest, letting man and letting God crucify him, nail him to it before he was lifted up in a posture of worship with his hands open, vulnerable, naked, literally before all mankind. And in that place was established again the rest of God and the worship of man with God. And intimacy came out of that place. And the Spirit poured out after that amongst uh, people that were gathering in an upper room. Tongues came out, tongues of fire. And new wine came out that the wine and the bread of the Lord came out in that place. I, I say all these things because the, the heart that God has established for us as a community is a heart to, to look after God and to not seek after establishing this church on our own terms. And I cannot tell you what that looks like because part of the answer is in you for what that has looked like. Obviously, it's in Jesus and his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit tells us, plant churches. His Holy Spirit sends people out into missions all throughout the New Testament. And His Holy Spirit is in you and I and all of us. We, we are not to establish a place that is like anything that we've seen around us, but it might be like what we've seen around us as he leads us to do that. I'm giving you this to, to talk a little bit about vision today as we go into some, some genuine like nuts and bolts talk about our vision as a church. <laughs> We want to be a church that seeks after Jesus and how he established things through vulnerability, through, through letting our lives be open to God and to one another. And so what I'm asking of you all, as you are continuing on with this church called A Place at the Table Church, is that vulnerability and that trust and that worship of God to be reestablished and grown in your life. And so, and so I'm asking you all to trust in the Lord in one another. And I know that's not a word that's common in our vernacular in today's world because we put up masks and walls everywhere we go. That's, that is normal. It's normal in the church. The church sets up churches of masks. And I'm not trying to knock churches at large because everyone has good intentions in doing this. I have, in some ways, masks that I can't yet see fully. And I'm asking the Lord, please, you know, please remove them. I've got community around me that shows me what those are at times. I can lay those down. 
And so as we continue on as a church together, what I'm asking of you all is vulnerability, trust, worship, and to not assume that what we are doing is establishing things in God's way. But to also trust and assume that God is establishing things in his way. (laughs) And I hope you know what I mean by that. We have to be honest about what we don't know so we can be honest also and confident about what we do know. And those will come together as we seek the Lord in time with this. Jesus tells us that that the heart of the church is to love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's, that's, our, that's our heart. You know? And he says the, the mission of the church is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so that's our mission too. You know, we don't have to get you know, fancy about this. Uh, the vision by which we do this, and uh, I'm going to switch to a, a presentation here. <clears throat> because we want to make sure that we are saying things accurately. <laughs> So we want to make sure that we offer a place to rest and worship at the Lord's table, to taste and to show that he is good. Uh, we, we, you know, we gather together like this in worship. And, and today I hope you had a chance to taste that God is good. As we taste of his goodness, you have something to show of his goodness collectively, individually and corporately. And so you have a grace to give to others. And I want you all to show that. And that only happens through vulnerability. Because the Spirit of God in you is speaking and flowing. As you obey Him, it's an act of worship. So as you, as you step out in faith and obey the Lord, it causes you to open up to the Lord. Because we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth with nothing hidden. And so we will experience vulnerability while we step forward together as a church. If you, if you go share the gospel with someone on the street, you will feel a little vulnerable. If, if you get a prophetic word from someone on the street and you, you go to them and share that with them at, at Starbucks, you will feel a little vulnerable. If you're in a small group with people and you share with them about anything in your, in your life that's going on, you will feel a little vulnerable. That's an act of worship. And that's what we're asking you all to come forward with. As you do so, the Spirit meets you in that place and you receive healing from past wounds that have caused distrust in God and others. And you also receive power to be effective in the ministry that you have together. And so this is the, this is the rhythm that we are walking in in life. Um, it, it's why I'm not asking you to be a copy of our church model. I'm asking you to be a unique identity to help create our church model. It's a unique expression that we feel called very strongly to at this church, of removing barriers by walking in honesty and by walking in trust and truth with one another. Does that sound pretty good? So I'm going to share with you a, uh, 